welcome to episode 32 of the 2QB Experience. This one is the Drew Brees Experience. My name is Greg Smith. I'm one of your hosts at Greg Sauce on Twitter. On the other line, your other host, Joshua Lake at Lake2QBs. Josh, my man, what's happening? Hey, Greg. Good to be here. Doing well. Looking forward to talking about this week. I've finally gotten past the crying and mourning stage. I think I'm comfortable to talk about it. Yeah, the, the regular season for most fantasy leagues wrapped up just now, and we're looking at the playoffs. And, I mean, I kind of wanted to kick off today's episode by talking to you a bit about that. Like, was 2016 a success for you and your teams? Uh, how, how are you feeling? Was that, was there actually some, some shower crying and whatnot going on? <laughs> Week 13's quarterbacks were really the, the shower cry. Oh, man. <sighs> we'll get into that, I know. Overall, I feel like in redraft I did well. Dynasty, I had three different teams that were... <laughs> the final spot at missing playoffs, which is just a terrible place to be in Dynasty because it means you're not getting the best pick, but you're also not competing for a title. And so I've got a lot of kind of soul searching and looking to do to decide what to do with those rosters. So redraft good, Dynasty not so good. When you look back at those Dynasty rosters, do you feel like the choice to go for the playoffs was a poor one for any reason? Like, have you you know assessed that process and, and tried to figure out if maybe you should have maybe tried to dump some win now players and and tanked a little bit. I've thought about it. And I actually, something that Ryan McDowell, who we had on the podcast last week, something he was tweeting about, I feel like this is a good year to have gone for it just because this class looks to be so deep that the difference between the third pick and the sixth pick may not be massive this year. And so it feels like the right call. I did have a team where I was actively dumping win now pieces Uh, but i i do think there's some merit to saying this is a very deep draft class and so kind of give it a push if you could and maybe that's just me (laughs) me making excuses now being on the outside looking in but i feel like it was the right call kind of take that shot because you never know once you're in playoffs anyone's got a shot and so i feel like if you're on that kind of borderline i tend towards do what you can to make it in. If you don't make it, tough luck. But getting in is kind of the big goal for me and then just kind of see what variance does to you in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. And I think from my perspective, I had a decent year, Like, but I, I am kind of disappointed in my overall results this season. And I'm not sure if maybe my expectations were too high because I had a good year last year. But in general, I feel like there were a lot of teams I had that underperformed. And I can attribute some of that to definite like owner error, like me making bad plays. Uh, but in other cases, it really did just feel like this was a strange season. And I mean, we, we can say that every year, of course, but there were certain teams where the rosters look good, the matchups look good. And for whatever reason, I just wasn't winning. And I don't want to say that like the majority of my bad teams were like that, but there's one in particular, one of my home leagues where I can just point to my points against point to my point points for like, look at the roster I put together and said like, I just got unlucky like and that's that's kind of part of the fantasy football experience and that's a little bit about what my rankings article this week is going to go into so that's a little I guess teaser looking forward but I I don't know were there any big lessons or takeaways from the 2016 fantasy football season in general for you like we, we talked a little bit about your dynasty rosters but anything more overarching than that from like a like an NFL perspective or, or just a fantasy perspective. I haven't really given it a a really good thorough moratorium, but 
I would say that your point early in the the offseason talking about kind of how we can reliably predict quarterback down beyond QB 20, but not too much beyond it, really is has kind of held true that we really kind of nailed it. And there's a lot of late round quarterbacks we did well on and we were able to find value pretty late. It was more just we knew the quarterbacks that were going to be bad, the, the Goff, Keenum, Kessler, that whole crowd of bad quarterbacks were bad, kind of reinforced for me that, yeah, waiting on quarterback really does work, and it's it's not really worth it to pay up in most instances. Well, and that might be a revelation for some listeners here. Like, if you're new to the 2QB format, or if you, even if you've been playing in it for a while and have had success with early round quarterbacks, I think that after this season, after last season, you really have to reassess that viewpoint and say, you know, the NFL is largely a mixed bag at this point. There aren't a whole lot of great teams this year, especially. Uh, and when those matchups are also middling and the quarterbacks are throwing more than ever, you're going to be able to find production at that position, basically no matter what you do. I mean, you can whiff. I mean, there are some quarterbacks who did not pan out this year, but Relative to the number of, say, running backs that didn't pan out or wide receivers, you know, that really busted your season. Like, I don't know. Like, I really feel like waiting on quarterback, even in a two quarterback format, is the way to go. And I, I don't want to preach too much more of that because I've been doing it all year and I will continue to do it <laughs> as we go. So we don't have to dive too much into that. But yeah, I mean, I'll just I mean, I'll echo that and say other than Tony Romo and I guess Cam Newton. But did any quarterback really wreck your season like I don't I don't feel like that happened where we we drafted a quarterback and it just ruined us that's a good question I mean I guess it depends on how much stock you put into somebody like Cam Newton Russell Wilson Andrew Luck are currently let's see QB's 16 or 15 through 17 back to back in total points okay uh points per game Russell Wilson's actually been worse than both of those guys and so, I mean, if anything, drafting an early guy is what wrecked your season. One of those three, at least. Like, if you drafted Rodgers or Breeze, you got the return you were expecting. But And I will say, luck is a lot higher. We're recording right before the Monday night game. So he's he's QB7 in points per game. Oh, that's very fair. So I, the other two, I think, are great points. Both Newton and Wilson have really struggled this year. Yeah, and, and luck is going to put up another, you know, 15 to 25 points in this game, hopefully. So... He has one touchdown. We're now five minutes in. Oh, nice. That, who do you throw it to, P.S.? Uh, Dwayne Allen, just Dwayne completely Allen. uncovered. Okay. In the Groundhogs League, Josh, I really need Newton, or not Newton, Luck to have a big game and Moncrief to not have a big game. Ah, so nice. That's something, so far, good track. Yeah, something to monitor. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, assuming he scores 20-ish points, he, Luck will bump up into the top 10. So I, I guess we should have put that disclaimer on it. But um, let's see. Other quarterbacks that could have ruined you, Carson Palmer. Eli Manning, and only because, yeah. like, you might have drafted them as a top 10 quarterback and they did not deliver on that, you know? Right. No, that's a good call. I mean, Palmer especially. He, he's probably the biggest bust. I'm sorry. Yeah. I cut you off there. Go ahead. No, no, you're totally right. I mean, in MFL 10s, he was QB 8. I, d I don't have our, Q our 2 QB ADP pulled up, but both of those guys were top 12 quarterbacks for sure in most drafts. Yeah, by points per game, Wilson is just or Palmer is just behind Russell Wilson. So I'd say those are probably your two biggest busts. And then Ouch. Eli, yeah, I mean, I don't know, but you're right. I mean, and that's that's your overarching point is very good in that most of what we expected with these quarterbacks panned out. And if you, especially if you looked at some of the guys who were candidates for regression. 
guys like Blake Bortles, guys like Andy Dalton, those guys kind of finish predictably in that way, right? Yeah, it's it's sad to say because Andy Dalton is someone I liked, but yeah, the folks, I mean, we had Evan Silva on and he was very anti-Dalton and that looks very right at this point. Bortles was an easy call. You and I were both on that train. That looks right. And so, yeah, I think this season is kind of, with some exceptions, generally taught us that, yeah, it's why pay up for quarterback? Rodgers has been good. He's been up there and he's still QB1 in most formats. But I don't know that it's really worth paying for those extra two points per game or whatever it is that you're getting over waiting and picking the eighth quarterback or 12th or 15th. No, you're right. And that was my finding in that startable QB percentage was that basically after QB4 or QB5, there's not a whole lot of difference all the way down to QB20. And we've seen that reflected in the standings of, of the NFL this year as well. But we're at kind of a breaking point, right? Like what the quarterbacks have done to this point is what got us here, right? Either we made the playoffs or we didn't. But what are you looking forward to in the playoffs? Like, are we know that, you know, uh, Drew Brees and Jameis Winston are going to face each other twice, and neither of those teams has a great defense. Those could be shootouts. Like, those are two of the easier calls to say, okay, in the playoffs, I'm very interested to see if those two matchups end up being, you know, the fantasy bonanzas we want them to be. Is there anything else in the upcoming fantasy playoffs that you're looking at, you know, that intrigues you? I think we'll probably get into it, but I'm super interested to see what the 49ers do going forward. Because I, I think that Colin Kaepernick may win some leagues if he's the starter in, in San Francisco. I think this week will cause his ownership to drop and he'll be on waivers. And I think if he plays, people are just too quickly reacting. He had six great games in a row, or good games in a row. I think that has the potential to be a league-changing sort of dynamic if he starts. And it's it's bizarre to say because I thought Blaine Gabbert was an interesting guy and he just wasn't. But I think that scenario has the potential to turn a fantasy starter or, or turn a nobody into a fantasy starter, which is weird after so many good weeks. Yeah, I'm really interested to see what the Niners do there. And Kaepernick's on the agenda, so we might as well just talk about him. He really shat the bed in week 13, finishes the QB 28, you know, before Monday Night Football. So chances are he'll be QB 30 when all's said and done. He rushed it more times than he passed it. Uh, five passing attempts, six rushing attempts, only 2.16 fantasy points. It was bad. And the, blame what you will on the weather. I do think that affected not only his performance, but also how the Niners were calling their plays. If if we can blame everything in that game on the weather, then yes, you have to look at Kaepernick as a, a potential you know league winner in your fantasy playoffs, especially for two quarterback formats. But do you think, I mean... You, you know where I stand on this. I, even before last week, the, the two weeks prior, I was kind of preaching caution with Kaepernick, and I was proven wrong in weeks uh, you know, 11 and 12, but we saw the bad Kaepernick in week 13, and do we need to be a little bit more open to those sorts of results in the you know final three weeks of the fantasy season? No, I, absolutely, and I, I think you're right. It's It's a terrifying thing to plug him in and start him. And I think it's kind of a make or break sort of a deal where we got to expect this any given week. And who knows if he's even starting. I mean, at this point, it could be Blaine Gabbard. It could be Christian Ponder. Who really knows? But even if he's starting, yeah, I think you've got to kind of accept that risk and see if you're comfortable rolling with it. Because I think your point has been right all along that he's not good. He doesn't pass well. And we just it's a bad team. Like the players around him are bad if we don't even look at his own talent. And so 
he he has certain appeal and for good reason. But yeah, these these sorts of games are well within his range of outcomes. Sadly, and the benching is an especially relevant fear to have because we know he's probably not on the Niners next year. Right. I mean, if everything we're hearing about his contract and all that pans out, he's gone. And if he's gone and the Niners know he's gone, why continue to play him down the stretch? And that's my biggest fear. Like, I think that if Mm -hmm. he plays, he will be fine. The matchups are good. He gets to face the Jets and the Falcons and then the Rams in the fantasy Super Bowl week 16. And while the Rams aren't a great matchup, I think that Kaepernick, you know, is the type of QB who could have success in that game if only because of his rushing ability, his rushing floor. Um, And I mean, if you make it that far, then you're playing with house money anyway, right? And we we already talked about what variance does in the fantasy playoffs. So I think looking at those first two matchups and kind of salivating over them with regards to Kaepernick is correct. But, you know, after what we saw in week 13, if, if he doesn't perform especially well against the Jets, I think there is a very real possibility we see more Gabbard or more Blaine or um, Christian Ponder. And, while I think that hurts us from a fantasy perspective, it probably helps the 49ers from a, you know, a team analysis standpoint. And yeah, that's my biggest fear with him. I think all that's really valid. And I'll say if they had drafted a quarterback this year, I'd be really concerned because they've got nothing to play for. I don't know that the team really thinks that Gabbard or Ponder is the future. And so I don't know that they're moving as much. Like, if we look at the Browns, we talked about how Cody Kessler, they should probably play to see what they have. The Rams with with Jared Goff, they need to start seeing what they have. I don't know that the 49ers are that interested in seeing what they have, so it's one motivation kind of taken off the table. No, that's definitely fair. I'm not sure what we're supposed to do as fantasy owners, right? Like, I don't think you can cut Kaepernick. I think if someone else cuts him, you are incentivized to pick him up for the potential upside. But you're right. It's just it's a leap of faith if you're going to start him, right? Yeah, no, it's it's a scary thing any time you roll him out there. And his ownership jumped so much, he's probably owned in most of your leagues at this point. And so you're not you're not debating picking him up. It's more if you did pay to add him, what you're going to do with him. Yep, I get to make that decision, you know, assuming I'm still alive in the Scott Fishbowl next week. I started him over Andy Dalton this week, mm-hmm. and man, did I get burned there. And I'm just on the cusp of advancing, or at least I was before Monday Night Football. So there's a very good chance that after Monday Night Football's over, I'm going to be out because I played Kaepernick over Dalton in, you know, a matchup or, or a pair of matchups that made it seem like good process to me. Right, no, I... I had Kaepernick at Dalton this week, and it just didn't pan out that way. Yep. Um, let's move on. Let's look at some more quarterbacks from Week 13. Let's talk about the QB one. You know, at least before Monday Night Football, Joe Flacco. Speaking of a leap of faith, man. Like I understand it wasn't a bad matchup going against Miami, but almost 400 passing yards, four passing TDs, almost 30 fantasy points, and he made Dennis Pitta the tight end one. And <laughs> sidebar, I hate you Dennis Pitt I was buying in for so many weeks and then eventually I'm just like enough I just if if it hasn't happened yet I just can't you know continue (laughs) to expect that it's going to happen eventually and of course you know just like fantasy footballers want to do when you least expect something that's when it happens so yeah Dennis Pitt Joe Flacco number one at each of their positions respectively did you get to watch any of that game I didn't get to see any of it, and I, I wish I had because I feel the same way about Pitta. It's like how many five catches for 27 yards or 33 yards? Like how many of those stat lines can you take before you just cut him and he proved us all wrong finally? Yeah, I mean, what are you doing with Flacco moving forward? Like he's put together like one excellent game and one pretty good game. I think his schedule down the stretch is pretty reasonable. He gets 
Let's see. He gets New England. He's at New England Monday Night Football. We might just have to live record like watching that game next next week, Josh. <laughs> P.S. It's gonna be a good game. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. We'll we'll talk more about that later. Um, but then he gets Philly at home and Pittsburgh, and Philly is definitely not the the defense it was cracked up to be by you know me and many others. But I, I think the schedule looks fine for Flacco. I just I have a really hard time trusting him. Yeah, no, I I feel exactly the same way. Like. I say like too much, but I, I think as a QB two streamer, I kind of like him because he's reliable, you know, in a way that many of our streaming options aren't. So I'm fine plugging him in in the playoffs if I have a decent team, but I definitely am not trusting him for this kind of QB one performance every week. That's for sure. Yeah. And he's been more reliable lately. He's been between 13 and, you know, or 13 or more points in every week since week nine. So, that's definitely not going to kill you. Like he's not going to put up that, or I shouldn't say he's not going to, but recently he hasn't put up those dud performances like we saw from Kaepernick. And I think there's other reason for optimism. Like he, one of his other touchdown passes that didn't go to Pitta went to Brashad Perriman. Finally seems like maybe he's starting to figure it out. And, and that was a lot of, I think the Ravens struggles on offense was, you know, Steve Smith was hurt for a while and Mike Wallace was the only real receiving threat there because like we said, Pitta wasn't doing anything. Perriman was still, you know, coming back from injury slash learning the offense slash whatever. If Perriman starts to put it together, starts to deliver on the hype that he had, you know, as a prospect, um, I'm, I'm not counting on it. But if that's something we get down the stretch, like not only does that make Flacco an interesting quarterback, that makes Perriman a potentially interesting play in some of these games like going up against New England, going up against Philly and Pittsburgh. Those are prime matchups for wide receivers, too. Yeah, I'm I'm hesitant. I mean, Brashad Perriman had three targets this week. He's averaging four on the season. I think he's a super interesting weapon, but I don't know that we're really seeing enough that I can say he's he's in for a huge uptick. It seems like it's kind of the Steve Smith and Mike Wallace show and, and Dennis Pitta, obviously, <laughs> this week. But I think Perriman is an interesting option. He's kind of in that mold of Deshaun Jackson that he changes the offense and kind of changes the way defenses face them. But I don't know that he's someone that I'm super interested in, uh, but he does make Flacco more interesting. Yeah, I, I guess that's the bigger takeaway. And you're right. The, the targets really aren't there for Perriman. I guess this is just me being optimistic because I own him uh, on the dynasty <laughs> roster. But I, I don't know. I, I like that he's more involved now. And I like that he is yeah. making big plays when he does make plays. And I think that that could potentially unlock a lot of you know opportunity for this offense. And with that comes opportunity for Joe Flacco. What would you, Perriman's an interesting one to me in Dynasty. It's hard to really rate first round picks right now, because like we said last week, really now is the time to hold your picks and wait. But just talking kind of in a vacuum, not this year's picks or not this time of year, but is Perriman worth a first round pick? Like where do you fall if you're saying you're getting an arbitrary first versus Brashad Perriman? I'd probably rather have the pick. And the main reason is health. The fact that we haven't seen Perriman really stay healthy for any prolonged period of time. The amount of time it took for him to get back from the issues that he was experiencing is a huge red flag for me. Like I, I don't really want to invest long-term in a, in a player like that. Now, if I have him on my roster already, if I bought in, you know, from the get-go, like I don't think there's any point in, you know, saying he can't deliver. But um, if someone offered me a, an arbitrary first for Perriman right now, I might take that depending upon how my, you know, what my goal was with the roster at the time. Right. No, I think that's fair, and it's it's a question I've struggled with, but I think that's a fair position. 
I'm not saying it's correct. Like a, a Perriman, like we said, could finally be that guy that they wanted to, you know, take over for Steve Smith or mm-hmm. Mike Wallace. Or, I mean, because these guys are, are not spring chickens. Like we all, and you and I were both big on Kamar Aiken entering the year, and man, what a disappointment that guy's been too. Right. No, absolutely. And there's definitely going to be opportunity in the coming years, and and so there, it's possible. I, I didn't love Paramount coming out because I feel like he was more just a speed freak more than anything else. But yeah, there's going to be somebody there. I mean, Flacco is probably there for quite a quite a while longer, and. Steve Smith isn't Mike Wallace probably isn't Mike Wallace of old for very long. So yeah, it's a valid point, but I'm probably with you that I probably take the first at this point. Okay. Uh, Let's get to a different game. Let's talk about, let's talk about Cam Newton. And this is one that uh, not only did the guys on the QB two experience nail uh, Sal and Jim, uh, they had him as their clipboard holder of the week uh, in week 13 this is another guy that I faded pretty heavily, uh, you know, in my rankings. I had him down, I think, at QB 20 heading into week 13. And nice. yeah, I, I felt pretty good about it. I felt like the process was pretty easy to sniff out there. And I was surprised that other people were still buying into the whole, you know, start your stud mentality. But finished Sunday as the QB 19, uh, under 200 yards passing, only one TD, uh, didn't do anything on the ground, three carries for, for 12 yards, but about 12 and a half fantasy points. Like, this was a bad game from Newton, and the thing that really stood out to me was that in the end of the game, when it was clear that he was not going to win, he really got, it seemed like he got pouty on the field. And I and I made a, a tweet about it that was probably a little over the line, so I ended up deleting it, but I, I was a little, like, I was disappointed in, in kind of, not the lack of professionalism, but like the lack of effort down the stretch. Like, hmm. And I don't want to compare him to other quarterbacks, but it's one of those things where I, I will compare him actually, because at the end, because <laughs> this is where the contrast came to me was like when I watched that Detroit New Orleans game, I cut the very tail end of it because they switched over from whatever other game was on. Drew Brees was down by, you know, two scores with the need for a two point conversion with not much time left, you know, no timeouts. It was clear they were going to lose the game, but that dude was slinging it and he was trying to do everything he could to score as many points as he could, whether it be for his own records or for, you know, potential tiebreakers in the playoff race. Like he gave a shit. And what I saw from Cam Newton in that game was was the opposite. I saw a guy who, you know, when when things weren't working out, he would just throw the ball out of bounds and, you know, kind of roll his eyes and like saunter back to the huddle. And I, I don't know, like I'm worried about him beyond this week. You know, like if he's already in that headspace where he's like, oh, we're not going to make the playoffs. This season's over. Like, is he a guy you can trust in the fantasy playoffs? I'm not sure you can. And this is definitely, you know, this is narrative street for sure. I, I'm wondering, am I overthinking this, Josh? I don't think so. Uh, he gets San Diego this week, and I don't know that I really feel comfortable with that either. They've been a great defense against quarterbacks this year. But then he gets Washington and Atlanta, and I'm going to have a hard time saying I don't trust him in those two really favorable matchups. But I think your point is is a good one, that there does seem to be a very, very different vibe in Carolina. And even even with Cam Newton, it's very different than last year. And I don't know that you trust it. But he is going to have such favorable matchups in week 15 and 16 that I don't know what it really means because I don't know that you're really benching him in most two quarterback leagues. But I think you're right. You don't feel as confident as as you would have liked. But I don't know that you're really going to be in a realistic situation where you say, I'm going to sit him and play somebody else unless you just you really have some strong options. 
Yeah, this is just one of those situations where I feel like all these other teams have so much more to play for. San Diego probably being the team that has the least to play for uh, of of his remaining opponents. Like they're five and seven, and considering their division, they're really on the outside looking in with the playoff picture. But you know, Washington, Atlanta, those teams are going to be fighting for their lives in weeks fifteen and sixteen. Whereas Carolina doesn't really have anything to play for. I I don't know, like. If if he continue, I just I just don't want to see him continue that you know to be pouty Newton. You know what I mean? Like I want him to to care in those last weeks because and I and I don't. It's it's hard. Like this is one of those things I struggle with all the time. Being a, a fantasy football fan is that it's hard for me to put like my expectations on the players themselves. You know, it's like I'm playing a game. Like these are the guys who actually have to go out there and do stuff. <laughs> so like it's not really fair to say like he should give a shit because I give a shit. And it makes me feel like a jackass, but I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm worried. Like, I just don't know if he's going to show up for those games. I hope he does. And that, and that's really my overarching point here is that I want him to, you know, show up to those games, try to play spoiler, and try to deliver for his fantasy owners because, I mean, we're not just rooting for him, you know, for our own monetary gains. That's part of it. But we are rooting for him. Be, and most people who drafted Cam Newton drafted him because they like him as a player. You know, he wasn't cheap to get in drafts. He's the type of guy who, like, you wanted to have him on your team because you like Cam Newton, in addition to the fact that you thought he would help you win your league. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, he, he was the QB1 in MFL 10s. I'm in, I'm in a work league, 14-team league, that's really not a ton of experience. It's kind of a mixed bag, but there was one owner that was like, if I get the 101, I'm I'm taking Cam Newton. Like I'm doing it. And sure we can, we can laugh about that, but like that sentiment was pretty widely held even among pretty strong fantasy analysts is like Cam Newton's clearly the QB one. If you're not going to take him in the first round and it's, yeah, it's hard to shake that because we, we all valued him so much coming into the year and he just really hasn't lived up to it. And, is looking worse and worse every week, it feels like. Yeah, and I, I think we kind of buried the lead here. We definitely buried it. Like, we were dancing around the issue that he got benched for that first series, uh, a series that ended up being one pass that was an interception by Derek Anderson. So my hope is that that was the reason he was upset last night, and that was the reason he seemed to give up towards the end of the game. And I hope that he corrects that down the stretch, but I do think, like, in the back of my mind, that's going to be something that worries me. Not that I own him anywhere. I'm a late-run QB guy, but whatever. <laughs> what, what else did you see in Week 13 you want to talk about, Josh? So I didn't get to see a ton of, of this week's games. The thing that really stood out to me is the other side of that Colin Kaepernick game, Matt Barkley. And I want to kind of draw a contrast between those two players, Colin Kaepernick and Matt Barkley. Assuming both are starting in week 14, I think that talking about sample size makes sense because in the NFL we have such small sample sizes, especially when you're not starting every single week. So both of those players weren't starting week one. They have limited track records. But I think it's important to distinguish those two. With Matt Barkley, we had one good game and one terrible game. With Colin Kaepernick, we had six good games in a row and then one bad game. And I think it's important to say that I'm going to trust Colin Kaepernick a whole lot more going forward than I am Matt Barkley, whether right or wrong. Like Barkley may outscore Kaepernick going forward. But at this point, given the sample sizes we have and the percentages, I can't trust Barkley. Like, he looks so dreadful, and it worries me more than Kaepernick's performance does. Yeah, and you also have to take into account that 
in that game, he was going up against the 49ers defense, which is not good. You know, like he, he was bad in a good matchup. And I think that you have to wait for that a little bit more. I I understand that Kaepernick didn't have a bad matchup either, but uh, yeah, there, there seemed to be some symptom, some symptoms for him that were having more to do with, you know, what that offense was trying to accomplish and less to do with his actual performance. Because like, like we said before, Kaepernick was the guy who, you know, in weeks prior, didn't look great, but based on volume and whatnot, performed at a very high fantasy level. Whereas Barkley is just one of those guys who, you know, I don't know if he was as bad as we saw yesterday, because again, we have to account for the weather. We also have to account for the fact that Jordan Howard scored three times from, you know, inside the <laughs> 10 yard line or whatever. Like if one of those scores goes to Matt Barkley, he's, you know, up at, you know, 13 fantasy points or something like that. And then that's a real game. Um, right. I, I don't know. Like, I'm with you though. Like, if you're comparing the two, Barkley is not the guy I want. Um, does he do, does he feel droppable to you in two quarterback formats? Like, I, I understand that you know certain desperate owners may need to hold on to and start Bar- Barkley, but if you feel pretty comfortable with you know two to three QBs in your uh, two quarterback or superflex league, are you holding Barkley or are you cutting him loose to maybe try to find a an upside running back or upside wide receiver? I'm holding him this week because he plays Detroit and so I don't want to start him but if I'm wrong I don't want one of my opponents playing him and getting it right and so I'm holding him but I'm not trusting him I'm not I'm not starting him but I I, I don't feel confident enough for sure to say that I want to give him up to one of my competitors if I'm the playoff team but don't you think that the other playoff teams probably have quarterbacks that are better than Matt Barkley. And so if you were to cut him loose, I'm just kind of thinking out loud here. If they were to pick up Matt Barkley after you dropped him and then start him, like if they started him over, I, I don't know, Blake Bortles or uh, who else? I mean, like Eli Manning, like wouldn't, wouldn't you be pleased with that result? Yeah, no, it's, it's a very valid point. And I think it's probably me just second guessing and thinking about what the waiver wires look like in most of these leagues that there really aren't starting quarterbacks available in most two quarterback leagues. And so I don't know that I want to dump a starter just on the chance that I'm wrong. Like you're, you're totally right. I'm going to feel good if, if my opponent is starting Matt Barkley this week, I'm going to feel really good about it. But what if I'm wrong? Like what if Barkley goes back to his volume and he throws another 50 passes and he crushes me? Like, do I really want to have been the cause of my own demise by dropping a starter? I I don't know that I could do it, honestly. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think that there's like a process versus results thing that we need to consider here in that if your opponent picks up Barkley and starts him over somebody who is, you know, kind of objectively and I and I say that acknowledging that we don't really have any objective data ahead of time, but if they make what everyone would agree is a bad decision, you know, if someone if someone if your opponent does something that's wrong, isn't that good for you? Like I understand that it could burn you, but I don't know, like one, I think if you're set at quarterback and you don't need to start Barkley, you, you have other guys you trust, you know, outside of injury, then you don't need Barkley. You might as well let him go. And if your opponent picks him up and uses him against you, that that's likely wrong. Like, I want to allow my opponents to make mistakes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think your point's a good one, and I'm, I'm second guessing, but the thing I'm, I keep coming back to is that kind of your statement about if you're set at quarterback barring injury, like if you have three quarterbacks already, sure, fine. You're not going to use him. But if, if he is your third quarterback, I don't think you can cut him 
just because you don't know whether there are going to be injuries. And so if he's a fourth quarterback and you're just dumping him back into the pool at that point, you're probably right because that is the other consideration is what it does to your team. Because I think you're right that what it does to other teams is not the only consideration. And here there may be some good reason to give him to other teams. If he is your third starter, I don't think you can do it. Or your your third quarterback, I don't think you can do it. Just because that says to me that you're not going to find somebody else should there be an injury. Yeah, and that's fair. Like, And that's, I guess, the point I'm trying to make. Because if, if he yeah. is expendable for your own roster, then I think it makes sense to cut him. And I think you could make that case for a lot of different quarterbacks right now. Like if you have four QBs and you're looking at Carson Wentz or Trevor Semyon or Paxton Lynch, like, yes, these guys could have value down the stretch. Are you going to start them over your other guys? Probably not. Now, it, And again, you'd have to look at your opponent's rosters too, right? Like if the guys you could potentially be playing only have two QBs already, or maybe one of their guys just got hurt, you don't want to necessarily dump a quarterback back into the pool to help them out. But in the playoffs, I feel like it's generally likely that most teams are going to be pretty set at that position. And if you are willing to let a guy like Barkley go, like Semyon go, then I think you're just enabling your opponents to make mistakes. Now, are you are as you have said, you're also enabling them to find value. But I think it's probably a net positive if, especially if you can get a guy who you know might be on the good side of variance down the stretch. I don't know. It's an interesting question, I guess. I'm not sure. I mean, we definitely don't see completely eye to eye, but um, I don't know. I I I'd, I'd drop him. <laughs> yeah. No. I I think your points are valid, and it's making me rethink things. I I don't know that I'm in that situation in a league, but yeah, your your points are definitely valid. Okay. Let's keep going. We're we're running a little long on the intro here. Um, let's talk about some other bad quarterbacks real quick. And uh, I mentioned Paxton Lynch, uh, but I also want to bring up Jared Goff here. Uh, both these guys did not deliver, and I kind of want to just point out that this is another case where we can look at rookie quarterbacks and say, like, here, here's the here are the types of guys you want to avoid in your drafts, right? Not everyone can be Dak Prescott, although even Dak Prescott was not good uh, in Week 13. But, you know, Jared Goff, good matchup uh, in theory against New England. Um, a lot of my fears came to bear there where, you know, uh, it was a good matchup statistics-wise, but it was a bad matchup in that he was going up against a very good team overall and a very good coaching staff. And... Those are the types of matchups that with a rookie QB, you just want to just stay away, hands off. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, and it, it definitely played out that way. Yeah. Um, anybody else you want to touch on in our week 13 review here? Because um, the only other guy I really want to get to is uh, Drew Brees, and he's our spotlight. Yeah, let's do it. I feel like we've talked about a lot of quarterbacks failing, but let's talk about the QB1 that did. Yeah, he laid a huge egg, and at a pretty inopportune time, you know, like week 13, a lot of teams are vying for the playoffs. You know, I would hope that not many were fighting for their playoff lives in week 13, if only because Breeze has been so good, you know, at least up to that point. Um, but yeah, I did get to see a fair amount of him towards the end of that game. I didn't get to see the bulk of it. He had three interceptions. To be fair, one of them was on his like garbage time last throw of the game. Like he put it up into the end zone, and one of the lines came down with it. You know, it wouldn't have mattered if anybody had caught it. To be fair, it would just would have been you know garbage negative points or garbage positive points or garbage zero. Um, but one thing I noticed, and, and tell me if this matters to you, Josh, is that generally his stats looked pretty good. He completed over seventy percent of his passes. He had three hundred twenty-six passing yards. The only thing that killed him was the lack of touchdown production and the INTs. You know, like that combo is pretty deflating. He fin he's going to finish as either the QB 24, 25, or 26. But 
when you look at those other stats, when you look at just his base passing numbers, does that does that mean anything to you? I, yeah, it does. I'm not I'm not worried by this at all. If we look at his last eight games, he has two of those eight with fewer than 300 passing yards. He has one of those eight with lower than 70 percent completion rate. Like it's ungodly numbers. I'm not too worried because of this week. It, it's frustrating, but really an impressive season season he's putting together. Yeah, and if you look at like his historical performances, like if you pull up his QB card on 2QBs.com, it's pretty insane how well the season is going. It's basically his best season since 2013. I'm a little worried that based upon this, we're going to be a little too whole hog next season on the oh he's drew Brees, draft him in the top four quarterbacks like (laughs) do we need to be wary of regression with him kind of like we should have been with carson palmer this year i I think it's a a really valid concern and i'm i'm trying to look up as we talk to see his exact age it looks like in january he's gonna turn 38 so we are very much at that age cliff whether it's this year or next he's he's right at the point where quarterbacks kind of hit the point of no return so i think it's got to be built in that 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 does end at some point that's (laughs) it's kind of scary i hadn't realized he turns 38 that quick yeah the one thing i would say is i think in the offseason we should watch what the team does right like where they address needs in the draft which people leave which people show up like if their offensive line stays good if they keep you know their receivers and their running backs like i don't think there's any reason to expect a a a huge drop off the way carson palmer did this season if only because drew Brees is a much better quarterback than carson palmer but I am wary that, you know, maybe next year we'll draft him as the QB3 or the QB4 when perhaps he should be, you know, the QB5 again or the QB6. And there's risk there. Like you said, the age cliff is right in front of us. We just don't know when exactly he's going to step over it. I, I do think that there's risk, but I, I'm i going to – I'll probably be buying in again next year just because he's Drew Brees. Yeah, no, I, I have a very hard time – passing on drew Brees in most leagues because he tends to fall way too far and he's been uber consistent for a, a crazy long period of time yeah i mean you touched on his consistency with regards to like the weeks the weekly performances he'd put up in this season and i kind of want to ask you a bit of a meta question here like if we look at his historical data we look at you know the fact that basically every year he has one or two bad performances right where he finishes you know outside the top 20 or outside the top 24 is it is it fair to expect that he was quote-unquote due for you know one of these bad performances within the the season's last few weeks and and i understand that like this was not the matchup where you would have predicted that going against detroit especially at home but just on a more kind of general scale is it worth trying to predict those sort of outliers like going anti-process with certain players to try to figure out like maybe this is the week to fade them if only because we haven't had to fade him yet does that question make sense it the question makes sense but i think the answer is pretty clearly no for me because fantasy football is a game of probabilities and you've got to you we know a few things we know that quarterbacks points per game correlates really well with fantasy scoring we know that matchup makes a difference that vegas vegas odds make a difference and and i say make a difference it's it's not causation obviously but we we know these things fairly well predict or, or give us probabilities for outcomes i don't think predicting the minority result is a good idea but 
these things happen to Drew Brees. Uh, looking at his stats, this is his first zero passing touchdown game since week 10 of last year. Whoa. He only had one last year. He only has one this year. Uh, but if you look at week nine last year, he had a 200-yard game against Washington, and the Saints lost 14-47, to and Washington was a dreadful pass defense. And I do think he has these games. It's typically not at home, but having a one or two bad games a season isn't really something that should concern you. I also don't think that you should get in the business of trying to predict it because that's not really predicting as much as it is guessing. Yeah, and the other thing that we're not, I mean, that you are not considering when you kind of take that sort of approach is the the upside range of outcomes, right? Drew Brees in seven of his 12 games this year has thrown three or more touchdown passes. And, you know, against a team like Detroit, that's a very good spot for him to throw <laughs> two, three, four, maybe even five TDs. Like you can't, you can't bet against that. You know, it's just not smart. You know, you're, you're, thro- you're spewing value at that point. And I, I mean, I, I pose the question to you, but I mean, I, I totally agree with your answer that there's no point in kind of going off script like that, especially when it comes to a good player in a great matchup. Like it's just crazy, but you know, some people, that's how their mind works, you know, and I, I, that's why I want to bring it up on the podcast because this stuff may seem intuitive sometimes like, oh, well, he's been so good. He's doomed to have a bad game eventually. Like this is kind of the, we saw the opposite with with Colin Kaepernick. You know, it's like, oh, he's been so good or he's been he's he's a bad quarterback, but he's been good. So let's expect him to keep being good. Like, I think that that's a little more reasonable to expect a bad performance, especially considering the weather, like maybe the signs were there in that matchup. But for something like this with Breeze, like there's just no way you should have been considering something like that. I, I don't think that it's worth it at all. Yeah, and it kind of makes you wonder, like, this, if you're going to p- predict the game that a, a great player has a bad game, like, what would make you think this would have been it? Like, I don't know what the indicator would have been before this game happened. Yeah, no, I mean, unless you, th- this is where we get into an interesting kind of question with, with Daily Fantasy, right? The, that idea of being contrarian, where maybe, like, if you're playing enough lineups, and you feel like you do see something coming. And again, this thing with Breeze wouldn't have worked. But let's say it was Kaepernick and the Bears, right? Where you say, okay, well, the weather's not very good. He's going on the road to a cold-weather city. I think I'm going to fade him. I'm going to play the Bears defense or, or whatever instead. Like, I think that there's value to be gained from that. But that's based on the mechanics of the game itself. You know, that's not that's not indicative of, of what, you know, the odds are for someone's performance. You're, you're actually being contrarian for a reason you know and that's that's different as well right yeah no that that's a good point because even if it's a narrative you at least have a narrative that supports your your choice whereas i don't know that we even could come up with the narrative for why breeze would have the game he just had and we're looking at it in retrospect no and and i do wish i could have watched more of the game to maybe try to suss that out but considering who we're talking about considering the quarterback and the defense like i'm willing just to like kind of throw my hands in the air and say outlier no big deal let's move on like i'm going to be starting breeze every week for the rest of the season aren't you yeah no absolutely okay um do you have anything else on him i know it's it's not super exciting to talk about these elite quarterbacks in the spotlight section but um anything else you want to touch on before we look to week 14 I don't think in terms of redraft for dynasty, I'm certainly going to evaluate, but I think I'm going to bring him back for another year. Like assume that he's an elite starter next year. I don't know that. Yeah, that that's the biggest issue left in my mind. Redraft. I have no questions. Dynasty. It's do I trust him one more year? 
Can I dig a little deeper on that topic with you real quick um, for Dynasty? Like, if Breeze is a guy you bring back, you, you keep him for one more year, and he comes out in weeks one and two and has two, you know, Breeze-like performances, how actively do you start shopping someone like that? You know, a guy that you do expect is going to hit the age cliff, maybe not this year, but maybe the year after or two years down the road. Like, I understand there's appeal to bringing him back, but how do you weigh that against, you know, the potential you know, output in the future, like selling high in season, I guess, is what I'm really asking about here. For my sake, my answer would be that if you don't sell them in the off season, I don't think you can sell them after a couple of weeks because two, three weeks is not enough that it's really going to tell you whether you're a competitor for the playoffs or not next year. And I don't want to start dumping players trying to sell high when I could still very well be a title contender. And so if I make the decision that I'm keeping him in the offseason, I'm probably going to stick it out regardless. And unless I obviously become a non-playoff team and then it's a different sort of inquiry. Yeah, I like that. Um, And and that makes sense to me. Um, Let's look ahead. Let's talk about week 14. And we're running a little long, like I said. So I'm going to just kind of ask you some questions that I had looking at next week's schedule. And let's see where it goes. Um, First, can we start Marcus Mariota at home against Denver? Yes? Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, I'm with you. I think that we can. I think that the the running game that Tennessee has does open up things a little bit for that offense going up against Denver. Uh, Denver has had trouble stopping the run, and... You know, Mariota himself could do some damage with his legs, although he we haven't seen maybe enough of that or as much as we would have liked this season. I think he could be okay. With that said, he'll probably be, you know, a, a bottom tier, or not bottom tier, but a, a low-end QB2 for me in Week 14. Does that sound right to you? Yeah, I think that's probably right. I, I imagine it'll be tough to bench him in a lot of... If you have him on your roster, it's tough to come up with a better player, but I think that's probably the right way to value him. So it's... Yeah, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm talking in circles because I want to play him, but the matchup is so bad that I could understand if you bench him. Yeah, and he goes at Arrowhead in Week 15, which isn't a whole lot better. I mean, it's it's definitely better, but um, I don't know. I, I'm a little worried about Mariota, and I think if, if you own him in a 2QB league, even if you made the playoffs, assess your other options. Like, I'm not saying you need to dig to Matt Barkley levels, but, uh, you know, maybe you have some other quarterbacks who may need to leapfrog back in front of Mariota for the for the playoff run. Next question. Which Eli Manning is going to show up for Sunday Night Football at home against Dallas? Is it going to be terrible Eli or good Eli? Ugh, Eli is just obnoxious He's all around. Worst. Just a terrible human. <laughs> <laughs> like how, I, the, I, I don't mind the, the, the guys who are always good or the guys who are always bad. It's the unpredictable ones that really drive me up the wall, and Eli takes the cake at quarterback, I think. Yeah, it's just you don't know what you're going to get. Honestly, I will say that I'm I'm playing him. I, he is a a QB2, but he is he has a better floor than some of the bad QB2s. I think you've got to play him, but he is frustrating, especially for someone that a lot of us liked as a, a potential QB1 by season's end. He just really has not stepped into that role this year. Yeah, and I mean, the matchup is good. Like, Dallas really does struggle against the pass. Uh, They rank 27th in pass defense DVOA heading into week 13. Like, I think that Eli is a guy who, you know, in in good, or I shouldn't say good matchups, but in, like, like these island game type of situations in the playoffs, he, he tends to perform better when the pressure's on, or at least that's what it seems like to me, and... Please, if someone is, is willing to correct me on that with stats, I would love to see them, you know, on Twitter or something. So so at me if you want. But 
narrative wise, I feel like Manning is the type of guy who is, is going to show up for this game. Now the Cowboys are going to show up too. So, so that, you know, we can't ignore, but at home uh, against a bad pass defense, you know, Manning is a guy that I think you're probably going to want to start despite the fact that he's been so unpredictable. Yeah. I don't know. He got, he's so, he's so annoying. Yeah. I mean, anyone throwing to Odell Beckham probably deserves consideration as a QB too. Yeah. Um, let's move to another, uh, NFC East matchup. And, um, Washington's going to Philly. Uh, I just I don't know what to do with Philly anymore. I want I wanted their defense to continue to be good. Um, the only thing I can say is that it seems like they play a lot better at home than they do on the road. So with that said, is there any reason to worry about Kirk Cousins, you know, in Philadelphia at the link? I'm gonna say no. I I'm playing Kirk Cousins every week if I have him at this point until proven otherwise. I think he's worth trusting now. Let's put the dynasty lens on Cousins real quick. Where, where do you value him going forward? Like, is is if someone offered you, like we talked about Breeze and maybe selling him, if someone offered you Kirk Cousins straight up for Drew Breeze, which side of that trade would you want to be on? I'd take Cousins. And, and that's you sound pretty confident in that, yeah? Yeah, I don't think I would hesitate a whole lot. Cousins is going to play somewhere. I think odds are very high. He gets a long-term contract in Washington, and I don't think he becomes an elite quarterback. I don't think... Excuse me. I don't think he ever enters that elite tier, but I think he's a starter for years to come. And with Breeze, I think that at best we're talking about one more year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's that Eli Manning, that Matt Ryan type of quarterback, right? A guy who's going to deliver low end QB one, high end QB two numbers, and that has a lot of value in Dynasty if you can get them when they're you know on the younger side, right? Um, where would you value him draft pick wise? Like, would you give up a first to get him? Yeah, for sure. If I could get him for just a first, I would do that. What, what do you I, What do you think is like the fair asking price? It sounds like a first isn't enough. Like if, yeah, I think you're looking at a first and a second, maybe even because when he signs, like when he signs, not if, when he signs a long term contract, I don't think that two firsts is going to get him. Do you have any concerns over this being a contract year for him, and that maybe he would regress based upon that? Do you buy the contract uh, year narrative at all? I don't a lot. Jonathan Bales had a good article on it, and I know there was a slight regression for wide receivers. I honestly don't remember for the other positions after they've signed a contract, that is. I don't worry a ton about it. I, I think that Kirk Cousins has his ups and his downs, and I wouldn't pay for him as an elite player. Like, I'm not paying three firsts for him, but I think two late firsts is pretty reasonable. Yeah, I don't really buy into it either, especially in football. Like, football is such a win-now sport, and the contracts aren't guaranteed, so... I. I don't think that contract years matter as much as they would in something like baseball or basketball, where you can have one really good run and then get paid and, you know, take the next three years off. But um, let's keep going. And we, we touched on this earlier, but Monday Night Football looks like it's going to be awesome. We have uh, Joe Flacco and Tom Brady facing off. I want to ask you about each guy separately. Can Joe Flacco stay hot against New England's defense? They've been pretty generous to opposing quarterbacks. I'm going to say... Yes, in the sense that you could probably play him QB one. No, which okay, that's not a not a hot take, but no. I think he's in the QB two range this week easily. Okay, um, if I put him up against some other players, let's let's see if we can kind of settle on a range for him. Would you play Flacco over Tyrod Taylor? Let's see. I'm gonna pull up schedules. Looks like Tyrod Taylor plays Pittsburgh. Oof, that's a. Uh, I'm gonna say yes. I'd probably go Flacco. Okay, I'd probably still use Tyrod there. How about over Jameis Winston? Never mind, he's playing New Orleans. You want Jameis? That's, that's <laughs> yeah. a dumb question. Um, how about Philip Rivers at Carolina? 
Philip Rivers. Yeah, you're a Rivers homer. I've always forgotten. I, I, I'll stick with it. It's been a been a rough few weeks with all the injuries. It's been a rough season, but I'll stick with him. Well, we just we just touched on Eli. How about Eli versus Flacco? Eli's got what Dallas this week. Yep. And Dallas has been pretty favorable. I think I go Eli. I mean, I like Flacco, but I like him as a low QB too. I don't think I like him better than that. How? Let's assume Fitzpatrick is still starting next week at San cool. Francisco. Would you rather have Fitzpatrick at SF or uh, Flacco Fla- at New England? Flacco. Fitz is bad. I don't care about the matchup. Okay. He right. is uh, just, we are, let's see, halfway through the, the second quarter at this point while we're recording, and let's just pull up Fitzpatrick's stats. He is 5 for 10, 81 yards. Okay. Not so, good. I don't. I just don't love him, regardless of the matchup. How about we bring it back to Mariota? Mariota against Denver or uh, Flacco? That might be the toughest one. <laughs> That's painful. Yeah, that probably is the toughest one. I think I'd struggle with that down to kickoff, to be quite honest. Yeah, maybe we could put up a Twitter poll for that one. I think I would like, probably start Flacco, and I would not feel good about it whatsoever. That one is definitely the closest one of all of those. I like the Twitter poll idea. Let's see what the people say. All right. Um, so now let's talk about the other side. Uh, Tom Brady. Baltimore's defense has been very good. Does that make you knock Brady at all? I mean, I, I know you're starting him. Like, let's not kid ourselves. But if you had the luxury of choosing between Tom Brady and some of the, the other better options in Week 14, would you consider benching him because of his opponent, Baltimore? No. Um, in adjusted fantasy points allowed, 4 for 4 has Baltimore as the 14th ranked offense against opposing quarterbacks or 14th ranked defense, I should say. Um, They're kind of the middle of the pack. They've been getting better, but Brady is who he is. I don't see a scenario where you can really bench him and and feel good about it. I think you're playing him kind of regardless of what you've got on the bench. Okay. Yeah, I I like that. And I think that that is one of those situations where it's not Cam Newton going into Seattle, right? It's Baltimore coming to New England. I don't think you can fade, fade Brady there either. I'm with you. Um, that's all I've really got for week 14, Josh. I, I kind of had one question I was going to ask you in the intro, but I want to kind of pose it to you now instead. We've talked a lot about kind of looking forward to the future, but just in general, what, what intrigues you the most about this upcoming off season and maybe next year's fantasy season? Are there any, you know, topics or players you're, you know, overly interested in at this point? Or are you still kind of a little too locked into 2016? It's I, I'm very much still in 2016. The thing that's going to interest me is where there's a lot of free agent quarterbacks coming into this season or coming into the next season, I should say. I'm I'm really interested to see what happens. Kirk Cousins, Ryan Fitzpatrick, Mike Glennon. I know I'm forgetting a lot of big names. I think Jake Cutler will probably move. Tony Romo might move. Kaepernick. I think, yeah, Kaepernick's a good one. I think we might see... Whether there actually are a lot of changes, there at least will be the possibility of a lot of quarterback changes. And that's a fun thing for two quarterback leagues, especially two quarterback dynasties. So keeping an eye on where these guys might go is kind of one of the big topics that comes to mind right away. Yeah, I'm really intrigued about the playoffs this year, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Like normally I'm so fantasy centric as the season winds up, but this has been just such a strange year of football with so many teams kind of it seems like they're going to play rock, paper, scissor against each other. Like if you get the right team at home or the right defense against the right offense, like the matchups are going to be very interesting in in the playoffs. And I hope it doesn't mean that they're going to be bad because of that. Uh, You know, because of the fact that we don't have as many, you know, great teams this year, seemingly I'm very fascinated to see who makes the playoffs, 
and and then what happens once they start like i haven't been this excited for it just as like a football fan in quite some time and blame part of that on you know my home team being terrible like the niners aren't <laughs> going to do anything so i kind of have to you know get my football jollies from the rest of the league but it, it's i think it's a, a fascinating season from that perspective yeah i mean i worry that well i was gonna say i worry that the early rounds of the playoffs will be really terrible but they seem to be interesting every year. It's kind of the conference championships and Super Bowl that I think are going to be really, really good football. Yeah, I can't wait for that stuff myself. And um, I, I don't know I'm, I'm sure I'm not the only one there. I mean, this is what we really get excited for football for is like is to see the good players play for our fantasy teams, see the good players and teams play in the in the uh, the playoffs themselves. I uh, yeah, man, this is the best time of year. Oh, for sure. All right, uh, let's wrap this thing up. Unless you got anything else. No, I think we're good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening very much. Uh, as always, we would encourage you to uh, subscribe to the podcast, uh, rate it and review it on iTunes and Stitcher and wherever else. Uh, stop by 2QBs.com. Check out all the, the work we have there. If you have any questions for us, uh, you want us to you know tackle on the podcast or maybe just in real time, uh, hit us up on Twitter at 2QBs or uh, by email, 2QBs at gmail.com. In both cases, you got to spell it out. T-W-O-Q-B-S. And with that said, Josh, give me one last update on the Monday Night Football game. We are at, what, 17-3. to Adam Vinatieri just had a very long 50-plus yard field goal. Fitzpatrick is bad. (laughs) That that should just be how we end every podcast from now on. Thank you for listening. Fitzpatrick is bad. We're out. We're out.